Most holy God, we thank you for this sacred time in our week. This moment when we can come and open our hearts to your word proclaimed and to reach out our hands to receive the bread of life. Feed us, O Lord, with this spiritual bread this day that we might seek to serve you in the week ahead, to be your voice, to be your hands. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, today we have the privilege of eavesdropping. We are eavesdropping on a conversation that happened 2,000 years ago. We're eavesdropping on a conversation between Jesus and a number of his followers. And it's an interesting conversation because Jesus and his followers seem to not quite understand each other. The conversation takes place very shortly after Jesus has fed 5,000 hungry people with as much bread as they could possibly eat. The followers of Jesus then saw that happen, and they came to Jesus wondering, can you do it again? Can you make that bread again? Oh, by extension, can you help us make that bread happen? You know, back in the first century, the word bread, like it is in the 21st century, was a euphemism for money, for material wealth. So the followers of Jesus, in a sense, had dollar signs in their eyes, or maybe I should say they had shekel signs in their eyes as they came to Jesus and were wondering to him, what must we do to participate in this abundance of bread? However you understand it. Jesus he must have shaken his head or maybe bopped himself in the forehead and said, oh, you guys, you're not getting it. I invite you to eat not just material bread, literal bread, physical bread. I invite you to eat bread that is spiritual, that nourishes your soul. That's the true bread. As I read this text this week, and the invitation to consider life is more than simply material bread and all that that symbolizes. I was brought back to freshman psychology 101 class. It's a long time ago. But I still remember learning about a guy named Abraham Maslow and thinking at the time some of the things that he's teaching are quite similar to what Jesus is teaching about material and spiritual life. Some of you have taken Psych 101. Many of you have heard of Abraham Maslow. He developed something called the Hierarchy of Needs. I've actually printed a little triangle in the back of your spirit news that has what he thinks are the important things that we need as human beings to thrive, to be flourishing as people. He calls it again his hierarchy of needs. And it is so incredibly similar to what Jesus is doing in his ministry that I had to talk a little bit about it today. But before I share that with you, a little bit about Abraham Maslow himself. He's Jewish, born in Kiev, Ukraine, 1908. At age eight, he moved with his family to New York City. They experienced significant poverty in their life, and he was, at times, physically hungry their shelter was 
minuscule. He experienced on the streets of New York significant bullying because of his religion. Later in life, he said, and this is maybe the saddest part of his life, he said, my mother did not love me. She never said she loved me. She never hugged me. You wonder how his hierarchy of needs are related to his early life experiences. In time, he develops his hierarchy of needs. Again, quite similar to what Jesus is teaching. And he begins that pyramid at the base. And I'll come down here on the floor. So at the very base of that triangle, pyramid, he has the word material. And the very basic need that we have as human beings is to have food to eat, shelter to cover us, and clothes to wear to keep us warm. I mean, to stay alive, we need those things. Water, air, basic material needs. It's where Jesus' disciples were in today's gospel lesson. They were firmly planted right here at the base, the material. They got some bread, and wouldn't it be nice if we get more bread? Some material stuff is good. By extension, doesn't more material mean life is better? If you have some stuff, great. If you have more stuff, better. That's basically what they were saying to Jesus today. And Jesus, again, bopped himself in the forehead and go, okay, I need to teach you some things. That life is not meant just to be lived on the base. And I bring this all up because we live in a society where many of us live right here on this base. And we think to ourselves, if only I get a little bit more, then I will be happy or secure. Well, Maslow and Jesus say, no, there's more to life than just standing in this base and seeking after more bread. And he has various steps. And the next thing up, he says, people need safety. Maslow, as a child, did not experience a lot of safety. And I suspect that many of you here in this room have not experienced very often a lack of safety. But if you are a refugee from Syria, you know exactly what it means. The next level up, he talked about love and belonging, which he didn't experience from his own mother. He felt like that's so important to life, and it's exactly what Jesus was doing in his ministry. It's almost like Maslow's copying Jesus' ministry because Jesus, time and time again, talked about loving people and incorporating people who didn't have a place to belong. If you look at the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, almost every single one of them is a miracle towards someone who was left out. A leper, the prostitute, the tax collector, the blind, the lame. He would welcome into the community because they didn't belong. And he knew that you need to have a place to belong if you're going to be fully human. Come, be here, we love you. Maslow was sharing his secular way of saying it. Jesus shares the religious way of saying it. What it means to be fully human and fully alive includes these steps. The next one, that going up the ladder, is esteem. Isn't that right? It's in the text, esteem. <clears throat> we sometimes translate that as being self-confidence not quite self-confidence, but we sometimes understand it that way. I get my esteem, my self-confidence 
in our society, usually by comparing ourselves to someone else. Or in competition with someone else. We win and our confidence and our steam is built up. We lose and we take a hit. We compare ourselves favorably to someone else and our esteem goes up. We feel like we don't compare to someone else and our esteem goes down. Both Maslow and Jesus would say, no, that's not where we build our self-esteem. We build our self-esteem from the fact that each one of us is created in the very image of God and we're all created differently. We don't need to compare ourselves to one another. We each one of us has enough. And we've all been given certain gifts, traits, talents that are unique to each one of you. We don't need to compare ourselves in any way to other people. We simply say thank you for the gifts that God's given us. The next step for Maslow, as he goes up the pyramid, whoop, as I go up the pyramid, is the word self-actualization. I must admit in freshman class, those many years ago, 60 years ago now, it was something, it wasn't 60 years ago. <laughs> I think I might have missed class that day when they talked about self-actualization because I still didn't quite get it. What is self-actualization? And I, I had to look it up this week. And what it is, is we all have potential. We all have these gifts uniquely that have been given to us. They're inside of us, who we are intended to be, like a, a seed about ready to sprout. To actualize that is to become your potential. To take the seed of your musical talent, which you ringers are doing, allowing it to grow and actualizing it by playing. We each have a little seed of something holy and divine and special in us. To actualize that then means we live it out. And not just our talent, but who we are personally, our virtue. Who we are as people of kindness and compassion. Maslow wrote a list of qualities of someone who is self-actualized. See if you can see yourself in this list of qualities. He said, for example... That someone who is self-actualized is at peace with him or herself. Have you been around people like that? They don't have to compare themselves to anyone else and especially not to you. And they celebrate your success. And they feel your failure. There is a sense of deep peace within them and we are drawn to people like that. They become self-actualized. Another thing he says about them is that they appreciate little things. They notice people who, have left, who are left out. Or they will notice uh, the birds at sunrise singing or a flower about ready to blossom. And you, you're in awe. You go, wow, what beauty, what wonder. They have insight. A self-actualized person, person will be someone who is comfortable in solitude, being alone. We'll be able to laugh, sense of humor. We'll have loving friendships, but we'll not just have friends. A self-actualized person will be 
a friend. Now, Jesus would never have used the phrase self-actualized. Instead, Jesus uses the word salvation. And I have taught you many times before that the word salvation in the Greek Bible is not simply going to heaven after we die. The word salvation, which is related to the word salve, healing, has to do with being made whole and complete, like the self-actualization of Maslow. Becoming the person you were intended to be. That's the root of the word salvation. Where not even death can intrude on that wholeness, you see. That this wholeness, this health, this who we're intended to be cannot even be interrupted by death. That is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. They're down here. Give me more bread. Give me more stuff and I will be happy. And Jesus basically is saying, no, you be who you are as you come and step here into the gift of wholeness, salvation, peace. Eat the spiritual bread that I offer you. Which, by the way, we do every Sunday. When we have communion, we eat the very spiritual bread that Jesus is talking about in today's text. Today, as you come forward for communion, you are making a statement. And this is your statement. It is not just the forgiveness of your sins that you seek at communion. You are making a statement saying basically, yeah, I'm in the material world. I need food to survive. I need shelter. I need clothing. And I know, Jesus, you want that for all people. But I need more. So you come forward for communion and you come to get the bread and the wine and you say, I am also a person created in the image of the divine and I want to be and live in the gift of salvation, wholeness and health, happiness and security. There is finally one last thing to share with you today. And that is that Jesus would have objected to Maslow's focus on self-actualization. What Jesus offers is more than yourself becoming individually saved and whole and right and good. Jesus was the, about the business of creating a community of people to live in salvation, a community of people to be actualized. What do you think that might look like in today's world, in today's politics, in today's violence? What might it look like to be a community, a city, a state, a nation, a world living as actualized people? That's why we have communion together. We come together to receive communion and communion is meant to be a symbol of a little community here, this little church, this morning, a symbol of God's intention for all the community, all the world. And we often don't see it in the week ahead, but now, this moment, we are fed as 
truly as the people on that hillside when 5,000 people received the bread of life. We are making a statement this day that we find our salvation in the bread of life offered by Jesus Christ. Amen.